Return, Part 2 Tim went through the swinging doors at the back of the dining room and entered the kitchen. A big stainless steel table in the centre of the room, a big stove with lots of burners to the left, and beyond that, big walk-in refrigerators. Tim started opening the refrigerators looking for ice cream. Smoke came out in the humid air as they opened each one. How come this stove is on? Alex said, releasing his hand. It's not on. They have all of little blue flames. Those were pilot lights. What are pilot lights? They had an electric stove at home. Never mind, Tim said, opening another refrigerator. But it means I can cook you something. In this next refrigerator, he found all kinds of stuff, cartons of milk and piles of vegetables and a stack of T-bone steaks. Fish, but no ice cream. You still want ice cream? I told you, didn't I? The next refrigerator was huge, a stainless steel door with a wide horizontal handle. He tuggled at the handle, pulled it open, and he saw a walk-in freezer. It was a whole room, and it was freezing cold. Timmy! Will you wait a minute, he said, annoyed. I'm trying to find your ice cream. Timmy, something's here. She was whispering, and for a moment the last two words didn't register. Then Tim hurried back out of the freezer, seeing the edge of the rift in glowing green smoke. Lex stood by the steel work table. She was looking back to the kitchen door. He heard a low hissing sound, like a very large snake. The sound rose and fell softly. It was hardly audible. It might even be the wind. But he somehow knew it wasn't. Timmy, she whispered. I'm scared. He crept forward to the kitchen door and looked out. In the darkened dining room, he saw the oddly green rectangular pattern of the tabletops, and moving smoothly among them, silent as a ghost, except for the hissing of its breath, was a velociraptor. In the darkness of the maintenance room, Grant felt along the pipes, moving back towards the ladder. It was difficult to make its way in the dark, and somehow he found the noise of the generator disorientating. He had came to the ladder, and had started back up when he realised there was something else in the room besides the generator noise. Grant paused and listening. It was a man shouting. It sounded like Janeiro. Where are you? Grant said. Over here, Janeiro said. In the truck. Grant couldn't see any truck. He squinted in the darkness. He looked out of the corner of his eye. He saw a green glowing shapes moving in the darkness. Then he saw the truck, and he had turned towards it. Tim found the silence chilling. The velociraptor was six feet tall and powerfully built, although its strong legs and tail were hidden by the tables. Tim could see the only muscular upper torso, the two forearms held tightly alongside its body, the claws dangling. He could see the iridescent speckling pattern on the back. The Velociraptor was alert. As it came forward, it looked from side to side, moving its head with abrupt bird-like jerks. The head also bopped up and down as it walked, and the long straight tail dipped, which heightened the impression of a bird, a gigantic, silent bird of prey. The dining room was dark, but apparently the raptor could see well enough to move steadily forward. From time to time, it would bend over, lowering its head below the tables. Tim heard a rapid sniffing sound. Then the head would snap up, alertly. 
jerking back and forth like a bird's. Tim watched until he was sure the Velociraptor was coming towards the kitchen. Was it following their scent? All the books said dinosaurs had poor sense of smell. This one seemed to do just fine. But anyway, what did books know? Here was the real thing, coming towards him. He ducked back into the kitchen. There's something out there, Lex said. Tim didn't answer. He pushed her under the table in the corner behind a large waste bin. He leaned closer to her and whispered fiercely, Stay here. And then he ran for the refrigerator. He grabbed a handful of cold steaks and hurried back to the door. He quietly placed the first few steaks on the floor and then moved back a few steps and put down the second. Through his goggles he saw Lex peeping around the bin. He waved her back. He placed the third steak and then the fourth, moving deeper into the kitchen. The hissing was louder. And then the clawed hand gripped the door and the big head peered cautiously around. The Velociraptor paused at the entrance of the kitchen. Tim stood in a half-crouch at the back of the room, near the far leg of the steel work table. But he had not had time to conceal himself. His head and shoulders still protruded over the tabletop. He was in clear view of the Velociraptor. Slowly, Tim lowered his body, sinking beneath the table. The Velociraptor jerked its head around, looking directly at Tim. Tim froze. He was still exposed, but he thought, don't move. The Velociraptor stood motionless in the doorway, sniffing. It's darker here, Tim thought. He can't see well, it's making him cautious. But now he could smell the musty odour of the big reptile, and through his goggles he saw the dinosaur silently yawn, throwing back its long snout exposing rows of razor-sharp teeth. The Velociraptor stared forward again, jerking its head from side to side. The big eyes swivelled in its bony sockets. Tim felt his heart pounding. Somehow it was worse to be confronted by an animal like this in the kitchen instead of an open forest. The size, the quick movements, the pungent odour, the hissing breath. Up close it was much more frightening animal than a Tyrannosaur. The Tyrannosaur was huge and powerful, but it wasn't especially smart. The Velociraptor was man-sized, and it was clearly quick and intelligent. Tim feared the searching eyes almost as much as the sharp teeth. The Velociraptor sniffed. It stepped forward, moving directly towards Lex. It must smell her somehow. Tim's heart thumped. The Velociraptor stopped. It bent over slowly. He's found the stake. Tim wanted to bend down to look below the table, but he didn't dare move. He stood frozen in the half-crouch, listening to the crunching sound. The dinosaur was eating it, bones and all. The raptor raised its slender head and looked around. It sniffed. It saw the second stake. It moved quickly forward. It bent down. Silence. The raptor didn't eat it. The head came back up. Tim's legs burned from the crouch, but he didn't move. Why hadn't the animal eaten the second steak? A dozen ideas flashed through his mind. It didn't like the taste of beef. It didn't like the coldness. It didn't like the fact that it, that the meat wasn't alive. It smelled a trap. It smelled Lex. It smelled Tim. It saw Tim. The Velociraptor moved very quickly now. It found a third steak, dipped its head, looked up again and moved. Tim held his breath. The dinosaur was now just a few feet from him. Tim could see the small switches of the muscles of the flanks. 
He could see the crusted blood on the claws of the hands. He could see the fine pattern of striations within the spotted pattern and the folds of skin in the neck below the jaw. The velociraptor sniffed. It jerked its head and looked right at Tim. Tim nearly gasped with fright. Tim's body was rigid and tense. He watched as the reptile eye moved, scanning the room. Another sniff. He's got me, Tim thought. Then the head jerked back to look forward, and the animal went on, towards the fifth stake. Tim thought, Lex, please don't move, please don't move, whatever you do, don't. The velociraptor sniffed the stake and moved on. It was now at the open door of the freezer. Tim could see the smoke billowing out, curling along the floor towards the animal's feet. One big clawed foot lifted, then came down again silently. The dinosaur hesitated. Too cold? Tim thought. He won't go in there, it's too cold. He won't go in there, he won't go in, he won't go in. The dinosaur went in. The head disappeared, then the body, then the stiff tail. Tim sprinted, flinging his weight against the stainless steel door of the locker, slamming it shut. It slammed on the tip of the tail. The door wouldn't shut. The velociraptor roared a terrifyingly loud sound. Inadvertently, Tim took a step back. The tail was gone. He slammed the door shut and heard a click. Closed. Lex! Lex! He was screaming. He heard the raptor pounding against the door, felt it thumping the steel. He knew there was a flat steel knob inside. If the raptor hit that, it would knock the door open. They had to get the door locked. Lex! Lex was by his side. What do you want? Tim leaned against the horizontal door handle, holding it shut. There's a pin, a little pin! Get the pin! The velociraptor roared like a lion, the sound muffled by the thick steel. It crashed its whole body against the door. I can't see anything, Lex shouted. The pin was dangling beneath the door handle, swinging on the little metal chain. It's right there. I can't see it, she screamed, and then Tim realised she wasn't wearing the goggles. Feel for it. He saw her little hand reaching up, touching his, groping for the pin. And with her so close to him, he could feel how frightened she was. Her breath, in little panic, he gasped as she felt for the pin. And the velociraptor slammed against the door and it opened. God, it opened. But the animal hadn't expected it. And had already begun to turn back for another try. And Tim slammed the door shut again. Lex scrambled back, reached up into the darkness. I have it! Lex cried, clutching the pin in her hand. And she pushed it through the hole. It slid out again. From the top! Put it in from the top! She held it again, lifted it on the chain, swinging it over the handle and down, into the hole. Locked. The velociraptor roared. Tim and Lex stepped back from the door as the dinosaur slammed into it again. With each impact, the heavy steel wall hinged, creak, but they held. Tim didn't think the animal could possibly open the door. The raptor was locked in. He gave a long sigh. Let's go, he said. He took her hand and they ran. You should have seen them, Gennaro said as Grant led them back to the maintenance building. There must have been two dozen of them, campies. Had to crawl into the truck to get away from them. They were all over the windshield, just squatting there, just waiting like buzzards. But they ran away when you came over. Scavengers, Grant said. They won't attack anything that's moving or looks strong. They attack things that are dead or almost dead. Anyway, unmoving. They were going up the ladder now, back towards the entrance door. Uh, what happened to the raptor that attacked you? Grant said. 
I don't know, Gennaro said. Did it leave? I didn't see. I got away. I think because it was injured. I think Muldoon shot it in the leg and it was bleeding while it was in here. Then, uh, I don't know. Maybe he went back inside. Maybe it died in there. I didn't see. And maybe it's still in here, Grant said. He stared out of the lodge windows at the raptors beyond the fence. They still seemed playful, making mock attacks at Ellie. Their behaviour had continued for a long time now, and it occurred to him that it might be too long. It almost seemed as if they were trying to keep Ellie's attention, in the same way that she was trying to keep theirs. The behaviour of the dinosaurs had always been a minor consideration for Wu, and rightly so. Behaviour was a secondary order effect of DNA, like protein unfolding. You couldn't really predict behaviour, and you couldn't really control it, except in very crude ways, like making an animal dependent on a dietary substance by withholding an enzyme. But in general, behaviour effects were simply beyond the reach of understanding. You couldn't look at a DNA sequence and predict behaviour. It was impossible. And that had made Wu's DNA work purely empirical. It was a way of tinkering. The way a modern workman might repair an antique grandfather clock. You were dealing with something out of the past, something constructed by of ancient materials and following ancient rules. You couldn't be certain why it worked as it did and it had been repaired and modified many times already by forces of evolution or eons of time. So, like the workman who makes an adjustment and then sees if the clock runs any better, Wu would make an adjustment and then see if the animals behaved any better. And he only tried to correct gross behaviour. Uncontrolled butting of the electrical fences or rubbing the skin raw on tree trunks, those were the behaviours that sent him back to the drawing board and the limits of science had left him with a mysterious feeling about the dinosaurs in the park. He was never sure, never really sure at all, whether the behaviour of the animals was historically accurate or not. Were they behaving as they really had in the past? It was an open question, ultimately unanswerable. And though Wu would never admit it, the discovery that the dinosaurs were breeding represented a tremendous validation of his work. A breeding animal was demonstrably effective in a fundamental way. It implied that Wu had put all the pieces together correctly. He had recreated an animal millions of years old, with such precision that the creature could even reproduce itself. But still, looking at the raptors outside, he was troubled by the persistence of their behaviour. Raptors were intelligent, and intelligent animals got bored quickly. Intelligent animals also formed plans and... Harding came out into the hallway from Malcolm's room. Where is Ellie? Still outside. Better go get her. The raptors have left the skylight. When? Wu said, moving to the door. Just a moment ago, Harding said. Wu threw open the door. Ellie! Inside now! She looked over at him, puzzled. There's no problem. Everything's under control. Now! She shook her head. I know what I'm doing, she said. Now, Ellie, damn it! Muldoon didn't like Wu standing there with the door open. And he was about to say so when he saw a shadow descend from above and he realised at once what had happened. Wu was yanked bodily out of the door and Muldoon heard Ellie screaming. Muldoon got to the door and looked out and saw that Wu was lying on his back, his body already torn open by a big claw. And the raptor was jerking its head 
tugging at Wu's intestines even though Wu was still alive. Still feebly reaching up with his hands to push the big head away, he was being eaten while he was still alive. And then Ellie stopped screaming and started to run along the inside of the fence and Muldoon slammed the door shut dizzy with horror. It happened so fast. Harding said, he jumped down from the roof. Muldoon nodded. He went to the window and looked out and he saw that the three raptors outside the fence were now running away. But they weren't following Ellie. They were going back towards the visitor centre. Grant came to the edge of the maintenance building and peered forward in the fog. He could hear the snarls of the raptors and they seemed to be coming closer. Now he could see their bodies running past him. They were going to the visitor centre. He looked back at Gennaro. Gennaro shook his head. No. Grant leaned close and whispered in his ear. No choice. We've got to turn on the computer. Grant set out in the fog. After a moment, Gennaro followed. Ellie didn't stop to think. When the raptors dropped inside the fence to attack Wu, she just turned and ran as fast as she could forward to the far end of the lodge. There was a space 15 feet wide between the fence and the lodge. She ran, not hearing the animals pursuing her, just hearing her own breath. She rounded the corner and saw a tree growing round the side of the building and leapt, grabbing the branch, swinging up. She didn't feel the panic. She felt a kind of acceleration as she kicked and saw her legs rise up in front of her face and she hooked her legs over the branch further up, tightening her gut and pulled up quickly. She was already 12 feet off the ground and the raptors still weren't following her. She was beginning to feel pretty good when she saw the first animal at the base of the tree. Its mouth was bloody and its bits of stringy flesh hung from its jaws. She continued to go up fast, hand over hand, just reaching and going, and she could almost see the top of the building. She looked down again. The two raptors were climbing the tree. Now she was at the level of the rooftop. She could see the gravel only four feet away and the glass pyramids of the skylight sticking up in the mist. There was a door on the roof. She could get inside. In a single heaving effort, she flung herself through the air and landed, spooling on the gravel. She scraped her face, but somehow the only sensation was acceleration, as if it was a kind of game she was playing, a game she intended to win. She ran for the door that led to the stairwell. Behind her, she could hear the raptors shaking the branches of the tree. They were still in the tree. She reached the door and twisted the knob. The door was locked. It took a moment for the meaning of that to cut through her euphoria. The door was locked. She was on the roof and she couldn't get down. The door was locked. She pounded on the door in frustration and she ran for the far side of the roof hoping to see the way down. And there was only a green outline of the swimming pool through the blowing mist. All around the pool was concrete decking. Ten, twelve feet of concrete. Too much for her to jump across. No other tree to climb down. No stairs. No fire escape. Nothing. Ellie turned back and saw the raptors jumping easily to the roof. She ran to the far end of the building, hoping there might be another door there, but there wasn't. The raptors came slowly towards her, stalking her, slipping silently among the glass pyramids. She looked down. The edge of the pool was ten feet away. Too far. The raptors were closer, starting to move apart. And illogically, she thought, Isn't this always the way? Some little mistake screws it all up. She still felt giddy, still felt exhilaration, and she somehow couldn't believe these animals were going to get her. She couldn't believe that now her life was going to end like this. It didn't seem possible. She was enveloped in a kind of protective cheerfulness. She just didn't believe it would happen. The raptor snarled, 
Ellie backed away, moving to the far end of the roof. She took a breath and then began to sprint towards the edge. As she raced towards the edge, she saw the swimming pool and she knew it was too far, but she thought, what the hell, and leapt into space and fell. And with a stinging shock, she felt herself enveloping coldness. She was underwater. She had done it. She came to the surface and looked up to the roof and saw the raptors looking down at her. And she knew that if she could do it, the raptors could do it too. She splashed in the water and thought, can the raptors swim? But she was sure that they could. They could probably swim like crocodiles. The raptors turned away from the edge of the roof. And then she heard Harding calling, Settler! And she'd realised he had opened the roof door. The raptors were going toward him. Hurriedly, she got out of the pool and ran toward the lodge. Harding had gone up the steps two at a time, and he had flung the door open without thinking. Settler! he shouted, and then he stopped. Mist blew among the pyramids of the roof, and the raptors were not in sight. Settler! He was so preoccupied with Sattler that it was a moment before he realised his mistake. He should be able to see the animals, he thought. In the next instant, the clawed forearm smashed around the side of the door, catching him on the chest with a tearing pain, and it took all of his effort to pull himself backwards to close the door on the arm. And from downstairs, he heard Muldoon shouting, She's here! She's already inside! From the other side of the door, the raptor snarled, and Harding slammed the door again, and the claws pulled back, and he closed the door with a metallic clank and sank coughing to the floor. Where are we going? Lex said. They were on the second floor of the visitor centre. A glass-walled corridor ran the length of the building. To the control room, Tim said. Where's that? Down here someplace. Tim looked at the names stenciled on the doors as he went past them. These seemed to be the offices. Park Warden Guest Services. General Manager. Comptroller. They came to a glass partition marked with the sign, Closed Area, authorised personnel only beyond this point. There was a slot for a security card, but Tim just pushed the door open. How come it opened? The power's out, Tim said. Why are we going to the control room? she asked. To find a radio. We need to call somebody. Beyond the glass door, the hallway continued. Tim remembered this area. He'd seen it earlier on during the tour. Lex trotted along at his side. In a distance, they heard the snarling of raptors. The animals seemed to be approaching. Then Tim heard them slamming against the glass downstairs. They're, they're out there, Lex whispered. Don't worry. What are they doing here? Lex said. Never mind now. Park Supervisor, Operations, Main Control. Here, Tim said. He pushed open the door. The main control room was as he had seen it before. In the centre of the room was a console with four chairs and four computer monitors. The room was entirely dark except for the monitors, which all showed up as a series of coloured rectangles. So where is the radio? Lex said, but Tim had forgotten all about the radio. He moved forward, staring at the computer screens. The screens were on. That could only mean the power must be back on. Eek! Lex said, shifting her body. What? I was standing on somebody's ear, she said. Tim hadn't seen a body when they came in. He looked back and saw that it was just an ear lying on the floor. This is really disgusting, Lex said. Never mind, he turned to the monitors. Where is the rest of him, she said. Never mind that now. He peered closely at the monitors. There were rows of coloured labels on the screen. 
You better not fool around with that, Timmy, she said. Don't worry, I won't. He had seen complicated computers before, like the ones that were installed in the buildings his father worked on. Those computers controlled everything from the elevators and security to the heating and the cooling systems. They looked basically like this, a lot of coloured labels, but they were usually simpler to understand. And almost always there was a help label if you needed to learn about the system. But he saw no help label here. He looked again to be sure. But then he saw something else. Numerals clicking in the upper left hand corner of the screen. They read 10 47 22. Then Tim realised it was the time. There were only 13 minutes left for the boat. But he was more worried about the people in the lodge. There was a static crackle. He turned and saw Lex holding a radio. She was twisting the knobs and dials. How does it work? She said. I can't make it work. Give me that. It's mine. I found it. Give it to me, Lex. I get to use it first. Lex! Suddenly the radio crackled. What the hell is going on? Said Muldoon's voice. Surprised, Lex dropped the radio on the floor. Grant ducked back, crouching among the palm trees. Through the mist ahead, he could see the raptors hopping and snarling and butting their heads against the glass of the visitor centre. But between snarls, they would fall silent and cock their heads as if they were listening to something distant. Then they walked, making little whimpering sounds. What are they doing? Gennaro said. It looks like they're trying to get into the cafeteria, Grant said. What's in the cafeteria? I left the kids in there, Grant said. Can they break through the glass? I don't think so, no. Grant watched, and now he heard the crackle of a distance radio and the raptors began hopping in a more agitated way. One after another they began jumping higher and higher until finally he saw the first of them leap lightly onto the second floor balcony and from there move into the second floor of the visitor centre. In the control room on the second floor, Tim snatched up the radio which Lex had dropped. He pressed the button. Hello? Hello? That you, Tim? It was Muldoon's voice. It's me, yes. Where are you? In the control room. The power is on. That's great, Tim, Muldoon said. If somebody will let, tell me how to turn the computer on, I'll, I'll do it. There was a silence. Hello? Tim said. Did you hear me? Oh, uh, we, we have a problem about that, Muldoon said. Nobody... Uh, who, who, who is here knows how to, how to do that, how to turn the computer on. Tim said, what? Are you kidding me? Nobody knows? It seemed incredible. No. A pause. I think it's something to do with the main grid, turning on the main grid. You know anything about computers, Tim? Tim stared at the screen. Lex nudged him. Tell him no, Timmy, she said. Yes, some. I know something, Tim said. Might as well try, Muldoon said. Nobody here knows what to do and Grant doesn't know about computers. Okay, Tim said. I'll try. He clicked off the radio and stared at the screen, studying it. Timmy, Lex said. You don't know what to do. Yes, I do. If you know, then do it, Lex said. Just a minute. As a way to get started, he pulled the chair close to the keyboard and pressed the cursor keys. There were the keys that moved the cursor around the screen, but nothing happened. And then he pushed the other keys. The screen remained unchanged. Well, she said. Something's wrong, Tim said, frowning. You just don't know, Timmy, she said. He examined the computer screen again, looking at it carefully. The keyboard had a row of function keys at the top, just like a regular PC keyboard. 
and the monitor was big and in colour. But the monitor housing was sort of unusual. Tim looked at the edges of the screen and saw lots of faint pinpoints of red light. Red light all around the borders of the screen. What could that be? He moved his fingers towards the light and saw a soft red glow on his skin. He touched the screen and heard a beep. A moment later the message box disappeared and the original screen flashed back up. What happened? Lex said. What did you do? You touched something. Of course, he thought. He had touched the screen. It was a touch screen. The red lights around the edge must have been infrared sensors. Tim had never seen such a screen but had read about the magazines. He touched, reset, stroke, revert. Instantly the screen changed. He got a new message. The computer is now reset. Make your selection from the main screen. Over the radio they heard the sound of raptors snarling. I want to see, Lex said. You should try view. No, Lex. Well, I want view, she said. And before he could grab her hand, she had pressed view on the screen changed. Uh-oh, she said. Lex, will you cut it out? Look, she said. It worked. Ha-ha. <laughs> Around the room, the monitors showed quickly changing views of different parts of the park. Most of the images were misty grey because of the exterior fog. But one showed the outside of the lodge with a raptor on the roof. And then another switched to an image in bright sunlight showing the bow of a ship. Bright sunlight. What was that? Tim said, leaning forward. What? That picture. But the image had already changed. And now they were seeing the inside of the lodge, one room after another. And then he saw Malcolm lying in a bed. Stop it, Lex said. I see them. Tim touched the screen in several places and got submenus. Then more sub-menus. Wait, Lex said. You're confusing it. Will you shut up? You don't know anything about computers. Now he had a list of monitors on the screen. One of them was marked Safari Lodge, Level 2, Stroke 4. Another was Remote Shipboard, VND. He pressed the screen several times. Video images came up of the monitors around the room. One showed the bow of the supply ship and the ocean ahead. In the distance, Tim saw land, buildings along the shore, and a harbour. He recognised the harbour because he had flown over in a helicopter the day before. It was Punta Arenas. The ship seemed to be just minutes from landing. But his attention was drawn to the next screen, which showed the roof of the safari lodge in grey mist. Raptors were mostly hidden behind the pyramids, but their heads bobbed up and down, coming into view. And then on the third monitor, he could see inside a room. Malcolm was lying in a bed, and Ellie stood next to him. They were both looking upwards. As they watched, Muldoon walked into the room and joined them, looking up with an expression of concern. They see us? Lex said. I don't think so. The radio crackled. On the screen, Muldoon lifted the radio to his hips. Hello, Tim. I'm here, Tim said. Ah, we haven't got a whole lot of time, Muldoon said dully. Better get that power grid on. And then Tim heard the raptor snarl and saw one of the long heads duck down through the glass, briefly entering the picture from the top, snapping its jaws. Hurry, Timmy, Lex said, get the power on!